This is The Braither Point. At the risk of life above and beyond the call of duty, is awarded in the name of Congress to Master Sergeant Gary I. Gordon, United States Army. Master Sergeant Gary I. Gordon, United States Army, distinguished himself by actions above and beyond the call of duty on 3 October 1993, while serving as sniper team member, United States Army Special Operations Command with Task Force Ranger in Mogadishu, Somalia. Master Sergeant Gordon's sniper team provided precision fires from the lead helicopter during an assault and at two helicopter crash sites while subjected to intense automatic weapons and rocket-propelled grenade fires. When Master Sergeant Gordon learned that ground forces were not immediately available to secure the second crash site, he and another sniper unhesitatingly volunteered to be inserted to protect the four critically wounded personnel, despite being well aware of the growing number of enemy personnel closing in on the site. After his third request to be inserted, Master Sergeant Gordon received permission to perform this volunteer mission. When debris and enemy ground fires at the site caused him to abort the first attempt, Master Sergeant Gordon was inserted 100 meters south of the crash site. Equipped with only his sniper rifle and a pistol, Master Sergeant Gordon and his fellow sniper, while under intense small arms fire from the enemy, fought their way through a dense maze of shanties and shacks to reach the critically injured crew members. Master Sergeant Gordon immediately pulled the pilot and the other crew members from the aircraft, establishing a perimeter which placed him and his fellow sniper in the most vulnerable position. Master Sergeant Gordon used his long-range rifle and sidearm to kill an undetermined number of attackers until he depleted his ammunition. Master Sergeant Gordon then went back to the wreckage, recovering some of the crew's weapons and ammunition. Despite the fact that he was critically low on ammunition, he provided some of it to the dazed pilot and then radioed for help. Master Sergeant Gordon continued to travel the perimeter, protecting the downed crew. After his team member was fatally wounded and his own rifle ammunition exhausted, Master Sergeant Gordon returned to the wreckage, recovering a rifle with the last five rounds of ammunition and gave it to the pilot with the words, good luck. Then, armed only with his pistol, Master Sergeant Gordon continued to fight until he was fatally wounded. His actions saved the pilot's life. Master Sergeant Gordon's extraordinary heroism and devotion to duty were in keeping with the highest standards of military service and reflect great credit on him, his unit, and the United States Army. By direction of the President, authorized by Act of Congress, March 3, 1863, the Medal of Honor for Conspicuous Gallantry and Intrepidity at the Risk of Life Above and Beyond the Call of Duty is awarded in the name of Congress to Sergeant First Class Randall D. Sugar, United States Army. Sergeant First Class Randall D. Sugar, United States Army, distinguished himself by actions above and beyond the call of duty on 3 October 1993 while serving as a sniper team member, United States Army Special Operations Command with Task Force Ranger in Mogadishu, Somalia. Sergeant First Class Shugart provided precision sniper fires from the lead helicopter during an assault on a building and at two helicopter crash sites while subjected to intense automatic weapons 
and rocket-propelled grenade fires, while providing critical suppressive fires at the second crash site. Sergeant First Class Shugart and his team leader learned that ground forces were not immediately available to secure the site. Sergeant First Class Shugart and his team leader unhesitatingly volunteered to be inserted to protect the four critically wounded personnel, despite being aware of the growing number of enemy personnel closing in on the site. After the third request to be inserted, Sergeant First Class Shugart and his team leader received permission to perform this volunteer mission. When debris and enemy ground fires at the site caused them to abort the first attempt, Sergeant First Class Shugart and his team leader were inserted 100 meters south of the crash site. Equipped with only his sniper rifle and a pistol, Sergeant First Class Shugart and his team leader, while under intense small arms fire from the enemy, fought their way through a dense maze of shanties and shacks to reach the critically injured crew members. Sergeant First Class Shugart pulled the pilot and the other crew members from the aircraft establishing a perimeter, which placed him and his fellow sniper in the most vulnerable position. Sergeant First Class Shugart used his long-range rifle and sidearm to kill an undetermined number of attackers while traveling the perimeter, protecting the downed crew. Sergeant First Class Shugart continued his protective fire until he depleted his ammunition and was fatally wounded. His actions saved the pilot's life. Sergeant First Class Shugart's extraordinary heroism and devotion to duty were in keeping with the highest standards of military service and reflect great credit on him, his unit, and the United States Army. Life is a special operation. America, a grand experiment gone awry. American reservations return to us as FEMA camps. Slavery sins as big pharma chains. Tobacco, wine, and mana were created weapons. Now, they corrupt us. Ukraine is America's biolab. America is the global cabals. Zelensky played a president on TV, ran a virtual campaign, had 30% support, won in a surprise landslide. Sound familiar? Ukraine was overtly invaded by Russia. America covertly by everyone. But slavery is a choice. Fear, a reaction. Courage, a decision. And contagious. And death? Well, just ask Jesus. A retired soldier, special agent and spy, turned whistleblower warrior, served and sabotaged, rejected and redeemed, failed and forgiven, betrayed and saved, rejecting revenge, humbled and blessed, repurposed in redemption as chaplain, leader, teacher, and truth teller. Now, your intelligence officer, following God, leading my family, and any that choose to join on our long walk to faith and freedom. Welcome. I'm Jeff Prather, and this is the Prather Point. Welcome, everybody. Happy to be with you. Uh, very excited and honored to have a very special uh, guest. So the title of this show is October. This is the anniversary of lots of attacks uh, and ambushes. Uh, this goes back. Uh, September was the USS Liberty, where Israel attacked a U.S. ship. I'll talk about that later. Yes, uh, uh, Israel attacked a U.S. ship bearing a U.S. flag. Uh, and of course, there's the Yom Kippur War of 1973, which is kind of mirroring what's happening right now. Uh, but I'm not on Team Israel. I'm on Team America. Famously, I've said that many times, starting Team America. And this is the, we just passed the 30th anniversary of Operation Gothic Serpent, more likely known to most civilians as Black Hawk Down. Uh, and uh, I've kind of put this off and I didn't want to put it off any longer uh, so I am very honored and excited to have a very special guest and 
Uh, Dale Comstock is a former SFOD uh, team member, operator, uh, uh, agency ground branch, uh, contractor, lots of other things. I'll let him. Um, and also, I think most importantly, uh, he knew who I just uh, showed you. Sugart and Gordon were the first Medal of Honor recipients, posthumously, of course, but since Vietnam. And I've often talked about them. If you've been in my classes, uh, you've heard me talk about them. They asked three times to go to their certain death, and they did, but they fulfilled their mission even in death, even unto death, and that is they saved Mike Durant. They did a hostage uh, rescue. So without further ado, Dale, thank you so much for coming on. I'm honored to have you, and thanks for getting up so early. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, so not a problem. You know, good news is I, I make my own schedule. I don't have a boss to answer to, so uh, I get up and do what I want when I want. So it just ha happens to be 4 a.m. here in Bali, Indonesia, where I currently live. Well, I so appreciate it. I'm so honored to have you. Uh, and I would I was trying to do this sooner, but kind of events uh, over uh, came. But this is the 30th anniversary of uh, Gothic Serpent. Uh, and uh, you were uh, part of the uh, rescue team, weren't you, to go in there? Well, <clears throat> so uh, let me kind of give you a little backstory that goes along with that. Uh, first of all, uh, Gary Gordon was actually one of my team members in OTC. So we both were uh, OTC together. We're on the same team. So I knew Gary pretty well. Um, at the time, I was an A squadron. And what happened was, um, this was never explained in the movie Black Hawk Down, but originally my team, my uh, sorry, my squadron commander was tasked with sending one troop to Mogadishu. Um, and and for whatever, I'm not going to name the, the squadron commander, but he said no. He goes, if I can't send my entire squadron, I'm not. Gonna, I don't want to send one, one troop. So then, of course, you know, at the time it was General Boykin. I mean, Colonel Boykin at the time. Now General Boykin retired. He goes, okay. So he gave it to C Squadron. And uh, at the time, uh, Gary Harrell was the uh, the squadron commander for C Squadron. And he used to be my troop commander. In fact, he went through OTC with me and Gary. And as soon as that happened, I knew when he said, no, uh, I want to send my whole squad or none at all. I knew that was a huge mistake, especially when he gave it to Gary Harrell. Gary Harrell said, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I'll do the one one troop. And, uh, you know, knowing how Gary thinks and, uh, you know, by the way, Gary just passed away not too long ago. But uh, knowing how we thought, you know, I said, "Man, you watch. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna trump it up and get the old squadron over there, right?" And sure enough, he did. He got the entire C squadron uh, to go over there, you know, and you know, well played. And we were all pretty dis disappointed in A squadron. So C squadron went, and uh, we were gonna follow. We were gonna be the the basically uh, come in and either uh, rip in place with them, rotate in place, and, and rotate, uh, you know, replace them, or augment them. So I remember the night, uh, I think it was October 3rd, we were on the range getting ready. We were actually packed up, getting ready to go um, go over there. And um, we, we literally got off the range that night. I think it was around 10 o'clock in, uh, in the evening. And uh, we came into the Squadron Bay area, went into the MWR room. We had TVs and stuff, big swing TV. And uh, there on the news was, um, you know, the images of Gary and Randy being drugged down the street, you know. And we didn't even know anything was going on why we're on the range, uh, zeroing up our weapons, getting ready to go. Until we walked into the squad, we're like, holy smokes, you know? And so right away, I mean, we were already loaded to go. Um, you know, our vehicles, everything was packed and ready to go. So literally probably within an hour, man, we were on our way down to, uh, uh, you know, down to uh, Pope Air Force Base and loading uh, the aircraft to go over there and augment those guys. 
So we arrived on the morning of October 4th. Um, the, the fight was already over at that point. Literally, we arrived. The sun was just coming up. And uh, I remember we were all getting off the air, air, aircraft. We had one of the Ranger uh, companies with us. And um, we're lugging our stuff across the airfield, the tarmac, over to uh, – basically, there was a memorial already set up for everybody that was that was killed in the firefight that uh, the previous night. And so we literally just dropped our rucks and our bags and everything and, and got in formation and, uh, you know, listened to, you know, to the, uh, the, the memorial service. And, and, uh, and then from there, when it was over, we went into the hangar with, uh, at the time, Colonel Boykin. And uh, he basically gave an overview of what happened. And, uh, you know, we were still missing bodies. Um, Gary and Randy were out there and Michael Durant. And so the mission wasn't over. Um, you know, we were going to Charlie Mike, so to speak, continue, continue mission. So that's, uh, we basically got regrouped, uh, and, uh, we started going out and doing the signature flights and, uh, and started doing, you know, continue to do the follow up operations to, to, to recover those bodies. Um, so that's kind of my, my, you know, the extent of my, uh, if you will, my involvement with October 3rd, 4th, it wasn't, I wasn't really there for that part. We came in the next morning and uh, we picked the, picked the mission at that point. Um, I'll tell you at that time, you know, we had, um, so I got to the unit, let me back up on that a little bit. So I got in the unit in 1986. Um, I was one of the first, uh, actually I was the youngest operator at the time to get selected, to go to select, uh, to make it to the unit. And so, when this all happened, we had already done a few missions already. I mean, when I say missions, operations um, prior to that, i.e. Panama and some other stuff. But uh, then uh, when this happened, I remember thinking to myself, holy cow, this is probably one of the most dangerous places in the world at the time. Because not only did we just have this big firefight and, uh, you know, and everything that was portrayed on the, on the video, but... Uh, I mean, you couldn't go outside and even do any PT without people shooting at you. You couldn't go into the ocean because it was full of sharks. I forget how many people got <laughs> killed by sharks or, or bitten by sharks because north up the beach was a camel uh, processing plant. And whatever was left over, the camels they processed, it just dumped the ocean. And it just attracted a lot of sharks up and down the, um, the, uh, down the beach. And we, not we Delta or the Ranger Battalion, but uh, some of the other units that were there, um, they were really su suffering casualties with people in the water. So, I mean, it was, you know, constant mortar attacks. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it was just total insanity. And so a lot of lessons were learned and, and came out of that. Um, because I remember when it, you know, I mean, it wasn't over. We were still going to find, try to find, you know, um, you know, the missing bodies and, and of course, uh, Michael Durant. And I remember, uh, a reward was put out for, you know, if anybody would bring back, you know, any of the American bodies that there would be a reward. So, man, these savages literally were taking charcoal bodies of Somalis <laughs> and bring them back and go, yeah, here's one of your guys. Here's another one of your guys. Like, no, that's not one of our guys. You know, they were trying to trade in bodies for money. You know, um, we had, we had, we, we literally had infiltrators in the camp and, you know, this is what always kills me, man. So, I remember we had, you know, we, they hired locals to come in and support us, um, you know, in, in, you know, in the encampment, which in the hangar area. And we had, you know, for example, the SSS truck, we call it the shit sucking truck, you know, it would come in to, to, to clean out the porter potties and stuff, you know, and, uh, and little do we know, but 
you know, the Somalis were actually driving these trucks. They were coming in. They were literally pacing off the helicopters, right? Um, they were, you know, we had them throwing out trash and all kinds of crap. You know, we had the enemy in the wire. And, and we were wondering why they're accurate. The mortar rounds were so accurate is because they were walking everything down, you know. And it's like, geez. And we would find mortar rounds oftentimes unexploded laying around the helicopters, you know, that, that they came in but just didn't detonate. They're stuck in the, you know, in, in the ground. Um, and they had some pretty accurate shots as well. So, you know, it's um, it was just really the whole thing was just, like I said, very surreal. It was just, uh, you know, you could. You couldn't trust the locals, and you had to question, why are we hiring these guys and girls to, to come in and work for us? Are we trying to win hearts and minds? I mean, you know, how, how did we vet them? We didn't, and uh, it just made for a very, you know, a very dangerous situation all the time, um, you know, between the mortar attacks, um, you know, we sniper fire. I mean, we were literally up against the beach, and then we were just literally one road away from Mogadishu Central, you know. And uh, they were they had the high ground as well, so we were taking a lot of plunging fire, sniper fire, uh, you know, from around the perimeter. Um, we would go out oftentimes. Um, we we did signature flights because one of the things they would do is every time the helicopters would lift off, uh, their their literally their alert system was guys and girls would go out with pots and pans and beat on pots and pans, and basically, you know, that would go throughout the entire city, and it would warn everybody that you know we're lifting off and we may be inbound. So some, so to kind of throw them off, we just did signature flights. We just get up and fly around and come back and land. Right. So they never really knew when was going to be a real assault and when was it not going to be a real assault. And, um, you know, I mean, I remember just flying around and, and, you know, guys were walking the streets, the AK 47, you know, and they were everywhere, you know? And, uh, like I said, it was probably one of the most dangerous places I've ever been at that time. And, um, you know, it's, um, Sadly, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm going to get a little political here, you know. Here's the part that really irritates the crap out of me is, so I remember at some point, you know, we, we looked and we searched and we went out and came back and, you know, we couldn't find Michael Durant. Then we found out, okay, yeah, he's now being held uh, captive. We did finally recover Randy and Shugart's bodies. Um, but uh, I remember one morning at the time, uh, uh, General Garrison, he brought us, you know, he was at the USAC commander at the time. And I used to be the, uh, he used to be a Delta Force commander. In fact, uh, interesting about Colonel Garrison was um, he was never an operator. He was the only commander from Delta Force that wasn't an operator. And I got to tell you, man, he was one of the best commanders I've ever worked for. The guy was just really solid, man. I mean, the way he's depicted in the movie Black Hawk Down is pretty accurate. Um, his demeanor, his poise. I mean, that, that was him to the T, man. Really great guy. Um, but, um, I remember we had a formation early in the morning and he came out there and I, I'll never forget the speech. And uh, he started something to, and I'll paraphrase, but basically he said, um, you know, war is nothing more than an extension of politics. Right. And so like, okay, we're just going. And basically at that point he said, you know, at the time Bill Clinton decided that uh, um, he was pulling us out. And I got to be honest with you, man. I think most of us, at least I did, I felt very betrayed by the president of the United States because he sent us to do a mission. And as a commander, you know, you know, you're supposed to lead by example. And one of the things you're told is to complete the mission. You com- Once you get a mission, you complete the mission. Right. And so at all costs. And I felt like, man, we just lost, you know, five operators out there, you know, a bunch of Rangers, total of 77 people wounded. And uh, and for what? 
so that we could go home with our bloody nose, go, oh, no, we don't want no more of this because of politics. And, uh, and basically, that deed got off the hook. And uh, that was just really disappointing to me because nothing came out of that, okay, other than, you know, for the politicians, uh, you know, they got something out of it. But, you know, at, at what cost? We lost, you know, I lost a very good friend, you know, I mean, I lost several good friends. You know, all the guys on, that were killed there from the from the unit were my friends. But, you know, Delta, I mean, Gary Gordon was a particular special friend of mine. As I said, at one time he was on my team. And uh, I just felt like, man, you know, how do you look at their families in the face and their children when they grow up and go, yeah, you know, we, we got your dad killed and uh, we didn't we didn't complete the mission that you guys expected me to complete as a commander, right? And uh, I lost all faith, you know, in, in, uh, in Clinton. Um, I've got a very bad taste in my mouth for this guy and and so fast forward cobble here we go again right how many years and how many lives did we sacrifice over there just to do what pull out leave 80 billion dollars worth of equipment behind and a bunch of dead americans you know and did we accomplish a mission well what mission did we accomplish okay we killed ubl a long time ago if that was a mission why were we still there Right. That wasn't a mission. That was not the whole mission. Why are we why did we stay there and continue sacrificing lives? And how many people died in Afghanistan again for what? You know, if we're going to do something as a soldier, particularly as a Delta Force operator, once you're sent out to engage the enemy and do your mission, you're expected to complete your mission. Like Gary Gordon, Randy Sugar. Look, those guys didn't quit. Those guys didn't go, oh, my God, you know, it's it's overwhelming. You know, it's just the two of us. You know, hell no, we're going back. No, they went down that rope in spite of the fact that they knew they're not going to make it out. They knew they were. There's no way they're coming out of there. And they did it anyways. You know what? Those guys got bigger balls than, than, than I'm going to say right now, Joe Biden and Bill Clinton. Um, they got bigger balls, had bigger balls than, than both those clowns put together, you know. And uh, fortunately, you know, good people have died, you know, in the name of politics. And uh, it's just uh, it's just really disheartening, man. And me as a soldier, you know, I'm still a soldier. You know, I, I'm still a soldier. Literally, I still go down ranges. I'm, I'm literally a mercenary. I'm not I'm not ashamed to say that. People think it has a bad connotation. Well, let me tell you something. Being a mercenary, a prostitute, those are two oldest professions in the world. And uh, I don't go out and murder people, but I definitely go out and I will take it to the bad guys every time, you know. And so um, I'm still in the game. I'm 60 years old. The last time I was down range was 2015, 2016. You can read that. It's all over the Internet about my experience in Yemen. I don't care. Judge me if you want, but uh, I did the right thing. I was going after bad people. But uh, at the end of the day, man, you know, I've had to, after Kabul particularly, I look back and I'm like, you know, man, I look back with some regrets, you know. I mean, I've saved a lot of people's lives. I've helped a lot of people, you know. But then on the other hand, you know, I really have to question, man, you know, my service. It's like, you know, under Bill Clinton, okay, maybe that was just a one-off. But then it happened again with Joe Biden. You know, and I have to ask myself, man, I'm lucky to be here. I'm lucky to be able to talk about this. I'm lucky I didn't lose my life because, you know, I, sh I should have been dead 20 times over. But here I am. I'm able to talk about it. And I'm grateful that I'm here. But, um, you know, sadly, I got to I've had I have to look at, you know, I, I love America. I love half the Americans. OK. And I, you know what that infers. Um, I do not like my government. Flat out. I do not like this government at all. Um you know, honestly, I just don't like them. And so it makes me question my patriotism and it makes me ask myself, you know, if if we were to be invaded, I'll tell you one thing, I'll never go fight for this country again. 
that won't do it. Sorry, not going to do it. Not under the circumstance, not under what I've experienced. Um, you know, if we were ever invaded, would I fight for my country? I'll tell you the truth. I'll fight for my family, my friends, but I'm not fighting for the country. I'm fighting for those that I care about that I know are on the same, you know, the same mindset and the same political beliefs as I do. Real Americans, um, everybody else, you're on your own. You know, and that's unfortunately, that's how I feel. I feel like I've been betrayed. My friends have been killed, um, you know, just so people can satisfy their political agendas. So, no, amen to that. And for the audience who don't know, OTCs, that's the operator training course uh, for Delta. So you were still back in the stockade back then and then going up to Green Ramp, I guess. Was uh, yeah. smoking Joe Stringham still commanding the Ranger Regiment back then? Or was he uh, gone? I, I think he was already gone at the time. Um, I can't remember, but you're I'm right. Little, I was at the stockade. Yeah. Um, I'm a little older than you, but, uh, I, you know, I know uh, – General Boykin, uh, Gary yeah. O'Neill, Rich Alves, Paul Hines. Uh, oh, man. Tom Sutterly yeah. says he can't even um, – one of the wives uh, can't use trash bags because the body parts came back in trash bags because uh, Durant said that, um, you know, in the movie they hit they hit him with an AK, but in real life they're hitting him with a, a leg or an arm. Um, yeah. And so And he's – I don't think he's going to do any more uh, interviews uh, – uh, after this, uh, I think he just did his last, I think with the Sean, with Sean Ryan or something, yeah. but it, it's really been real hard, but, um, I agree with you. Uh, and it, it also, uh, I'm, I'm all saying the, the politicians are sold out. Uh, I don't call him Biden. I call him Pedo Joe, but Clinton also, uh, you know, Billy Waugh just passed the great Billy Waugh. Yeah. And, uh, he, he could have gotten bin Laden, you know, he was jogging, but famously he was jogging by, the residents every night and said, Hey, I got him. Just tell me when, cause they're not following me anymore. And, and Clinton never gave him the word. Um, yeah. So I, I think yes, that's, that um, I think that's very true. And um, you know, Clay Martin, uh, another friend of mine says, yeah, my family's fought in every war since the revolutionary, but my son will not fight for the Skittles flag. Uh, and I think I, I agree. And, you know, I'm as patriotic as, as the next uh, veteran. Yeah. No, I, you know what? I, I like that Skittles flag. I'm, I'm going to have to steal that one from him. I stole it from Clay, so you can steal it from me. So. Uh, that's a, no, you know what? And there's, you know, it's not just me, by the way. You know, I remember back, I think, in May, um, I was on um, InfoWars. I, I did a show there. Actually, I thought it was only be like a 10-minute segment, and I thought I was being interviewed about the Chinese balloons, and that turned into a whole hour-long you know, ran on my part. I didn't even know it was live, honestly. <laughs> but anyways, the, it ends up next day I'm on Twitter and I, I look at the response. It was quite a huge response. I didn't even know it went to that level, but there were a lot of veterans on there that actually, because I said almost the same thing about, you know, my disappointment in America and how I will no longer support, you know, any wars that we decide to fight in, you know, and, 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 and what I, what I said was echoed by many, many veterans as well. Um, the veteran community out there, I think, you know, at least guys like us that have been around for a while, um, you know, we see things differently now, you know, and as, as we get older, we're, we're more aware of, you know, politics and, uh, you know, we're more focused on the bigger picture as when we're younger, we're just kind of a little bit more linear and, and we kind of, you know, kind of a little bit more focused on, you know, our youth and growing up and not really seeing the big picture. Uh, now, as I'm a little bit older, I have more concern, you know, especially for my children and my grandchildren um, that, uh, you know, 
we're, they're, they're moving into a very perilous world. And uh, unfortunately, you know, I, I believe that the American government is literally the Pied Piper leading us right over the, uh, over the abyss and people are going along blindly. It's like, so for example, you mentioned Ukraine earlier, you know, I, I spoke out about that about the proxy war that it was, you know, let's, let's be honest, man, this has got nothing to do with us. You know, you, you can, you know, people talk about, you know, fascism in America, right? They want to, con, con, uh, you know, basically accuse the right of being fascist and this and that and Nazis. But uh, let's take a hard look at Ukraine. Okay. And their background in Nazism, you know, and, and the Azov Brigade, you know, and, and uh, you know, they're literally walking around with Swashika still on and, and we're like, you know, I heard George Take, which I hate that guy, man. I don't want to even watch Star Trek anymore because that clown. <laughs> um, you know, he's like, uh, all these people that own guns in America should give their guns to Ukrainians. Yeah, that's why we have the Second Amendment in America because, you know, what happened was Ukraine started handing out firearms to everybody to protect themselves. The Israelis just did that too, right? It's like there's a reason there's Second Amendment, right? These are shining examples. But, you know, the left is happy to support Ukraine. You know, and give them guns and give them money, you know, fight a war that we have nothing to do with. And you didn't mention the, the bio labs. You're absolutely right. You know, um, you know, all the bio labs in Ukraine and, and all the invest, you know, look, we know John Kerry's kids, Nancy Pelosi, you know, Joe Biden, they're all invested in Ukraine. You know, who's who are we fighting? Are we really fighting on behalf of the Ukraine? And that guy that, you know, calls himself the president, you know, walks around, you know, in his freaking, you know, basically his, <laughs> his workout outfit. Um, is he really, you know, he's a freaking actor, but, you know, we're supporting this company, country. And the other thing people don't understand is, you know, they don't look at the history of why, you know, what's going on with the Russians and why the Russians go in Ukraine. All they want to do is paint the Russians in a bad light. But let's I'll be honest, man, go back to, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis. When the Cubans put missiles uh, in Cuba, uh, when the Russians put missiles in Cuba, what do we do? We lost our crap and go, hey, get those things away from us or else, you know, it's going to start a war. We didn't like the idea that the Russians were encroaching, uh, encroaching up right up to our doorstep. And so they, they withdrew. And here we are. We're doing the same thing to them after we promised we wouldn't expand NATO. Right? We wouldn't build on it. Now we're on the doorstep. And we're doing the same thing they did to us in the Cuban Missile Crisis. We're doing it to them. And what do you expect they were going to do? You know, so I feel a lot of ways, you know. No, and I'm not a Russian sympathizer. At one time, they were our enemies, you know, and maybe they still are. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways, the Russians did what we were trying to do, you know, to protect their, their sovereignty as well. So, you know, when you look at the bigger picture, you know, which most people don't do, the Nazism, you know, fascism in Ukraine, you know, and, and the support for that, you know, and then you look at the history of why did Russia do this? Because what did we do in, in, the, in the 60s? You know, there's a lot of justification there. And, uh, you know, but of course, you know, the government doesn't want to say that, you know, the, the media definitely won't tell you that kind of stuff. If you don't crack a history book, you'll never know. And so all you know, the Russians are bad. They're invading Ukrainians. And, you know, and so now I can't say the same thing for Hamas. You know, no way can I say that. You know, that's a that's a different story. Um, but here we go. We're sending U.S. arms and military uh, assets over there in support of Israel. Um, OK, is that our war? You know, I don't know. Should we be there? I don't know. Um but, you know, how did all that start? Well, it sounds like it started because Joe Biden, you know, pedo Joe, what you call him, just gave six billion dollars to the Iranians, plus five more to exchange five prisoners on top of that. Gave these guys a bonus of six billion dollars, which undoubtedly went towards supporting Hamas to to, to invade um, um, Israel. And now there's video out of, 
You know, the Iranians calling death to America, death to Israel. You see the United Nations vehicles literally driving over American flags on the streets in Israel. You know, so we don't have that support. The UN is a joke. They were joking Mogadishu. Um, these guys were a complete joke. You know, they're a bunch of paper tigers walking around with their blue helmets and white vehicles. They, they don't do anything. They don't intimidate nobody. But here they are riding, literally driving over our flags, you know, and, uh, and for all intents and purposes, they're actually supporting the enemy and not the good guys. You know, in this case, you know, I consider the Israelis the good guys. So, um, Again, where I you know circling back to the start point of this whole uh, tirade that I was went on, <laughs> I get a little, I get a little, I get a little mouthy sometimes, oh, man. No, sometimes, oh, no, you uh, please, <laughs> please. Um, yeah, I get a little, it's about four o'clock in the morning. I'm pretty amped up at four a.m. But uh, but yeah, you know, it all starts. It all goes back to you know what are we doing and why are we doing it? You know, what's our purpose? And uh, you know, are we really fighting for democracy or are we fighting for something else? I honestly think we're not fighting for democracy. Um, you know, I, I really don't. And I think we're fighting to feed the war machine, uh, you know, to feed, you know, the, the, the uh, military industrial complex. I think we're here. Ed, to, Edley Butler, you know, World War I, Medal of Honor, war is a racket. I think that, that but so yeah. I want to ask you, um, and it, and I'm, it's so cool that, you know, that you knew the unit guys there, particularly um, uh, Shugart, um, and, or rather Grandy uh, Gordon, or Gordon, um, but I want to ask you because you went on afterwards uh, to uh, work for Ground Branch, uh, Sad Ground Branch, I believe. Uh, and so, w- what I say is, if you look at an analogy of history, that Rome was a republic, and then it had uh, Caesars, and then it had Praetorian Guard running, who became uh, the Caesars. We are exactly there now too. America was a republic. Uh, yeah. Then we had these uh, presidential kings. Now we have a Praetorian Guard that is uh, the intelligence community, the special operations community, particularly JSOC, because JSOC kind of got their own intelligence community. McChrystal and uh, Flynn and others kind of invented that. I know a lot of people from that. You went in, and then you went on to other uh, tier one. I don't know how much how far you want to go into that stuff, but I wanted your perspective on if you agree with that that the Praetorian Guard of the American Empire now is this uh, special operations intelligence community that's running all this stuff because Ukraine clearly is a proxy war. And now in Israel, uh, there's no way, because I'm an old intelligence officer, intelligence in Israel, there's no way they were surprised by that attack. There's no way that they pulled those bulldozers up there without them knowing. There's no way that happened. Uh, this was a setup, and now with, with that he's saying Netanyahu saying this is our 9/11. Well, we now know from our 9/11 that CIA, FBI, and Mossad were involved in all of that as well. But because you went on into the intelligence community, I wanted to get your perspective on that as well. Yeah, um, I got to be honest. You know, my involvement when I, you know my, during my time, you know was as a paramilitary, you know, operative. And, and so I was the guy that I went down and, you know, recruited, trained, fed, led, you know, uh, mercenary armies to go out and prosecute targets uh, to collect intelligence more so than anything else. But, uh, you know, as far as the bigger picture concerned, I'd be speaking out of, out of school on that, you know, what was the real agenda, but, you know, you don't have to be, you know, I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see the big, the bigger picture, right? A lot of people profited off the wars 
Um, you know, a lot of things just didn't make sense. My experience was downrange was um, I saw I saw firsthand how we were not allowed to do our jobs, right? Which allowed the the the, the war to continue on. Um, there were some things that happened that if I said them out here, I'd probably end up in jail. Um, that I saw that I know that the American public would not appreciate. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes it just comes down to personalities and out in the, out in the field that make some really bad decisions based on their own political beliefs. Um, and rather than focusing on the agenda, you know, every guy that I ever worked with was very like-minded. Um, we were all conservatives, you know, we were all patriots and we went to do the deed because we really believed in fighting for freedom and righteousness and, and, and destroying those, you know, that would destroy us and, and innocent people. I mean, we're, this is the, this is not a problem. This is a noble thing with us. Unfortunately, it's the people above us. The decision makers, a lot of these commanders and others that uh, they're there for political, have their own political agenda, political purposes. And basically, guys like me become cannon fodder. Yes, you know, go send Comstock. He's a dummy. He believes in patriotism, doing the right thing. He'll do the, he'll do the, you know, he'll do the mission. Um, You know, and I think in me and we all think that everybody's on board with let's take the fight to the terrorists and, and take them out. When in fact, I don't believe that's the case at all. And like you just mentioned, you know, I think, uh, you know, it is a proxy war. I think we we have, um, you know, the Americans have not just Americans, but others. You know, we we've in some way or another, we were, you know, have some hand in making this whole thing happen. And um, because it just you're right. There's no way the Israelis got caught off guard. I mean, I was thinking about that today. It's like, how could they have possibly been caught off guard? And you got hang gliders coming in. Lots of rocket. You're telling me they didn't pick up on all that intel, chatter somewhere. Look, we can't do a mission as Americans anywhere with some without somebody breaking OPSEC, you know, before the invasion of Panama, the rescue of Kurt Muse and Modelo prison. I mean, we were compromised at least seven hours out before H hour. We already knew that. Um, why? Well, because, you know, we had Americans that, you know, two examples I remember perfectly. Um, one was an um, uh, Army MP goes down to the canal and goes, hey, guys. You guys shouldn't be around here at midnight tonight because there's, you know, things are going to happen. It's going to be really bad. And then another guy, a Marine, calls home to mommy and daddy. Goes, mommy, daddy, you know, um, I just want to say goodbye. I may not be, you know, I was like, what? And he, you know, and it's all this is an interceptor, right? And so everybody's breaking up, seg. And so the word's already out there, you know. You don't think that Hamas is running their, you know, running a little mouth, you know, on, on the phone and texting and telling their friends, hey, we're going to do this tonight. Look, this didn't just happen at the last second. They, there was a there was a workup, a plan to this thing, right? They, they built up to it, you know. Like you said, pulling the bulldozers up, uh, that ought to be a sign, you know. And so, you know, you're right. And and so that the Israelis didn't see that coming, I find it very hard to believe. Um, with us as you know, supporting them, giving them intelligence, you know, there, you know, there's no way they didn't know. Did they allow this happen? Probably so. I think you know. And so here we go, another war. Which, by the way, you know, could have very dire consequences for everybody. At the end of the day, when you really think about the, you know, what this could, what this could imply. At the end of the day, man, I mean, the Iranians are not fighting a proxy war. They're using, you know, Hamas. Uh, we're kind of fighting a proxy war again with the Israelis. Israelis don't have a choice; they either fight or die. Um, you know, people are going to make money. And this is going to destabilize the whole region. Now, you know, the Russians and, and the Chinese, are, you know, 
which side are they going to take? And this thing could just bubble over into one country to another to another. And I think we're right on the brink of World War III. We're actually in World War III. It just hasn't gone kinetic or ballistic yet. But, uh, you know, we're, we're Gen 5 war is where we're at right now. But, uh, you know, it's, it's starting to go ballistic. And, uh, and eventually, you know, the whole thing's just going to boil over. And uh, um, I'm just afraid, man, you know what? I just hope that it doesn't go nuclear because if it goes nuclear, we're all done. We're all doomed, you know. <laughs> um, who knows, no, I, man? I think, I think it's Gen 5 versus Gen 4. We're in a uh, moral, legal, ethical, nonviolent resistance movement in our own country against our own government where they're using Gen 5 stuff, do stuff, bioweapon stuff. Um, but uh, you, went on, you went on, besides doing ground branch stuff, you went on other places as well. Uh, and uh, that's another question I want to ask you. You brought it up really well is back in our day, you executed the mission. Uh, and um, but I don't think uh, we can just rely on now our our hires to. OK, we here's the mission. Here's the mission statement. Here's the mission mission set. Now we just execute because we cannot trust them. There's got to be uh, more ethics involved than there was in our day. Just like when we were growing up, there was only three uh news stations. And so you could really, you know, cover up whatever the Tonkin Gulf was covered up uh, very, um, very easily. And I've had um, Vince McKellar on, he was the comm sergeant on 595. uh, And he says, uh, you know, Mark Noosh and Bob Pennington say that there were two wars in Afghanistan and SF won the 595 and triple nickel won the first war. And within weeks it was done. They, they changed special ops doctrine. I mean, that's, amazing what they accomplished because there was no command and control because they were so remote. But then the second war was big military one to get some and come in. And then you got Tucker Gar and you got six coming in and slab uh, and covering up John Chapman. So I think you used to be able to think, yeah, there are personalities and there are higher ups uh, that have egos and they don't know uh, what they're doing, but over and over and over uh, I think this is purposeful. Um, yeah. I think it's by design. And so that bring, brings me to the question for you is, um, because you've been at such a high level for so long, because uh, I don't advise, uh, you like I, or a martial artist, you were a professional uh, fighter. Uh, I've been a professional teacher for many years, but I used to advise all my young guy students to be go in the military. I don't do that anymore uh, because it's no longer a, a legitimate rite of passage as far as I'm concerned. But I'm wondering what you think about your children and about uh, young people you may be mentoring of how they can learn warriorship without war and how that warriors can uh, modulate uh, and navigate their mission sets with more ethics on their own. Those are two pretty tough questions, but I'll shut up and let you. No, those are actually great questions. Um, So, you know, look, I, you know, I never had any intention of becoming this guy that I am today where everybody kind of knows who I am, a public figure. You know, I, I kind of got sucked into it. It started with Discovery Channel. Somebody referred me. Next thing you know, I'm getting interviewed. Next thing you know, I'm on Discovery Channel, on a TV show called One Man Army. That led into Stars and Stripes with Terry Crews. Now, all of a sudden, I'm this Hollywood guy. Um, next thing you know, I'm on all these radio shows, podcasts. I'm writing books. Um, and now, with all that, suddenly... I found that a lot of young men, particularly teenagers, were contacting me and they had questions. You know, how do I become a Delta Force operator? You know, how do I become a special operations? Blah, 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 blah. 
And they were literally coming to – so I have a home in Panama City Beach, Florida also. I have one here in, in Bali, and I have one in the Philippines. So I kind of have like three homes, three families, three countries. Um, but in Panama City Beach, guys would come in from other states. Literally, I remember one guy in particular, he came in with his grandmother. His grandmother brought him all the way down to Florida just so he could spend the weekend with me, you know, and uh, talk Army stuff, you know. And I did quite a bit of that, you know, a lot of mentoring – and, uh, you know, guys would, you know, join the military, go to special forces or Marine Corps, whatever. And uh, because, you know, they, they looked up to me. They looked up to the military. I had good things to say. I encouraged them to go in. And, um, and now I actually don't do that. I do the opposite. I've had, I had recently had a guy call me, a kid, a, kid, a guy, a young teenager, probably about 17. He was getting ready to get out of high school. and wanted to join the military. And he wanted to get uh, my recommendation on military service. He goes, what would you recommend? And I remember I just told him, I said, I recommend you don't go to the military. I said, get an education. Doesn't mean you have to go to school. I said, get an education, um, become a sovereign man, find a way to make a living. So you're not dependent on other people, you know, be able to navigate this world on your own. And so um, now I find myself dissuading people. And I did that on this, on, um, you know, on a couple of the, the recent uh, newscasts and uh, news shows and podcasts that I did, like Infowars, I'm literally dissuading young people from joining the military. I said, you know what? Look at lessons learned. Look at Mogadishu. Uh, all those men dead for what? Look at Kabul. All those men and women in Afghanistan dead for what? Right. So, you know, do you want to be that guy? I mean, you know, the glory of combat, it's not that glorious after all. At the end of the day, you know, it seems like it's not Hollywood. You know, you know, when you start really when you're really immersed in the carnage and the death and all the stuff that goes with that for real, you know, that has a, that, that's a hard, that's something hard to wear for the rest of your life. And, uh, and so it takes a special kind of purpose, a mindset, if you will, to do that kind of work. It's not Hollywood. And a lot of, this is why I think a lot of guys have PTSD is this was, you know, joining the military, <clears throat> being a soldier, combatant was really cool until they got there. And then they realized that psychologically they weren't equipped for that kind of drama and trauma. And so, you know, they're paying the consequences for it. Um, but uh, so that's what I do is I, I tell guys and girls, don't do it. Uh, I said, and the other thing I tell them, and I just want to say it blunt, right out bluntly. I said, look, you know, you join the military, you fight for our country. What are you fighting for? Well, you're not fighting for you're not fighting for uh, the America. I knew you're fighting for socialism. You know, we're on the brink of Marxism and communism, you know. And so is that what you want to fight for? Is that what you want to defend? You know, is that what we're fighting for? Well, I'm fighting for my family. You can do that at home. We, we all got weapons. You know, we can all defend our families if we need to do that. And we can we can go to war again on the ground. Um, the how our country was founded, you know, a bunch of farmers with guns, you know, three <laughs> percent went out there and got, got the job done. So you don't have to join the military to protect our country and protect your family. So I'm almost become the antithesis to military service uh, in, in this present time under this administration. Um, you know, I'm not going to say I'm always going to be like that. You know, if we get somebody that, you know, a true American, true patriot in the seat again, um, and I ain't going to lie, I'm a, I'm a Trump fan. I hope he does make it, you know, then I'd be willing and when he, and I know he'll turn things around. I'll be willing to go. Yeah, everybody's signed back. I'll join back up too. <laughs> I'll be happy to go back in. You know, at my age, I don't care, man. Um, the military was the best service ever when I was in. It was the best show in town, and this is why you know I, I prompted so many people to go in. So the other question you had was, what can people do to prepare themselves um, without actually going into the military? You know, 
uh, this is not for me trying to sell my programs or nothing like that, but I actually no, ran a program. Do. Please do. Promote your programs. Yeah. Last, last summer, I mean, I had guys paid me quite a bit of money to spend 55 days with me um, and learning basically a military mindset, everything from how to shoot a weapon, tactics, hand-to-hand, swimming, high-speed technical driving, lock-picking, you know, you know, skill sets. I call them Jason Bourne skill sets. And the reason they came to me, these guys were actually very young. I say young, they were 28, um, around that age. Um, guys had had money and had wealth, and they felt like uh, the day was coming that, uh, in fact, one of the guys was Jewish, um, very conservative Jewish guy. And he's like, I'm afraid that something's going to happen. Um, and he goes, and I'm not going to know how to fight or defend myself, you know, especially as a Jew in America. And in fact, his father reached out to me. His father was a medical doctor. He said, hey, would you would you train my son? And uh, and so I ended up running a course like that. I do a lot of these courses anyways online um, so that guys can get certain skill sets, learn a certain mindset, um, basically preparing them for, you know, for survival. You know, at the end of the day, you don't have to be a soldier to to learn how to fight and be a warrior, you know, it's in all of us as men, most of us anyways, <laughs> uh, you know, that's what we were, that's what our DNA, you know, is designed for to, to protect. And um, so we, we have that in us for most of us anyways, there, you know, there's a lot of exceptions, of course, but um, you know, get the training, get the, you know, be sovereign, be a sovereign man. Um, don't be relying on the government for, or anybody else for your money. You, you know, this is why I live here. I'm, I do my own company. I, I run my own business. I do security. I do a lot of different things every day. Um, I never wear one hat, but, uh, you know, I kind of live that sovereign life here in Indonesia. Um, I actually feel safer here than I do in America. Crazy, right? That I live in a country that's predominantly Muslim, which, by the way, are some of the nicest people on the planet here. I'm not going to lie. And, uh, you know, and there's no nobody's eating out of each other's ripe spoil. Everybody minds their business, you know. Nobody's judging. Everybody just kind of gets along. It's amazing. It's so different here, you know. And um, having traveled over 98 countries, lived in there, worked in there, 98 countries, by far, Indonesia is my favorite place of all places. It's literally, it's, yeah, it's still a rule, but everything I need is here. But the best part is the culture and the people and the like, man, there's none of this weirdness going on here that has happened in America. In fact, everybody's looking at me going, what's going on in your country? What do you mean, you know, kids can cut their pecker off and become a girl and we can, you know, and abort babies and all the crap that's going on in our country. It's like, they won't tolerate that here. And uh, so I like that. I appreciate that, you know, and, uh, but again, you know, I, I kind of ramble, but at the end of the day, um, you know, if you're out there, you're a young man or woman, you're, you know, contemplating the idea of the military, really ask yourself, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? You're doing it for, you're doing it for the military skill sets. Um, if you do, that's fine, but just don't get brainwashed, you know. Um, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. So Alan West is a good friend of mine, and uh, and I met Alan West uh, circa 2012 um, in Los Angeles. I just ran into him in a hotel one day by accident. I was on a TV show. Uh, we were making a movie, and uh, I was going to through the lobby to the restaurant, and he was sitting there waiting for his, his driver to pick him up to go do his show. They hit, there was, his show was in L.A., and I walked by, I looked at him, and I said, Alan West. And I walked up to him and go, sir, I said, uh, I just want you to know, I said, if, I hope you run for president of the United States, and you just just so you know, I got your back. You know, and he got up, laughed, and he giggled, and he shook my hand, and we got to know each other and became friends. In fact, the next day he had me on his show because 
I had told him that my father was a you know 20 year veteran from Vietnam. Um, I was in you know of course 20 year veteran. My son is in special forces as well, you know, and he just thought that was something worthy of, of speaking about on a show. So I ended up on his show, and then about six months later, he moved his show to Washington D.C. and he called me, and he said, um, you know, I'm he goes. I want to talk about women in the military, particularly combat arms and special forces. Would you like to come on the show? I said, yeah, I'd love to talk about that, you know? And so um, I got on the show and I remember, you know, he asked me what was my, what was my opinion of what was going on? I said, well, I'll tell you what's going on. It, it started a long time ago. In fact, it was happening in 2001 when I retired. It was one of the reasons I retired of the army because I really saw then, you know, this whole wokeness was already in play back in 2001. How do I know that? Well, so uh, what was his name? Um, the Secretary of uh, Defense at the time, um, SecDef or Army, I can't remember now, Shinseki. Anyways, he shows up at a USASOC uh, parade, right? So you got all these special forces guys out with Green Berets are all lined up. They're having a ceremony. He's standing like, wow, you know, and right there makes a command decision. I want everybody in the military to have a black beret. Like, whoa. Well, sort of the Rangers had the black beret. That's all right. Take the beret. Give him another one. Right. So he gave everybody black rays. Well, why did he give everybody a black race? Apparently he's got a background as a tanker, you know, so black rays are generally uniform for a tanker. Right. So I want everybody black rays, you know, and so everybody can feel good about themselves. Right. So it started there. Let's make everybody feel good. Give them a black beret that nobody really earned because honestly, the beret is something coveted, you know, um, you know, the green beret was, you know, basically a presidential award from Kennedy, you know, and it was something, you know, Kennedy was the last best, last great Democrat, you know, even though he's a Democrat, he's the guy had some sense, um, you know, after that, it just went downhill. But anyways, you know, we had the green beret. Look, guys going to the airborne just to wear the, the maroon beret, right? Guys going to Ranger Patan because they want the tab and they, they want everything that goes with that, you know, and you talked about rite of passage and, uh, and suddenly this guy comes along and goes, I want everybody to, to have the coveted black beret, you know, and feel good about themselves. And that's when I knew, man, okay, this is going in the wrong direction. There were a lot of other things, you know, the stress card that came out with in basic training, the drill sergeant yelling at you, you pull the stress card out and the drill sergeant's got started, started to stop yelling at you. <laughs> you know, like, okay, you know I, rem- I remember when uh, I was in Fort Psyop at Bragg where, where we changed to maroon berets. But before that, we were wearing the slit cap with the, with the uh, parachute yeah. hider. And I thought, that's a pretty cool patch. You know, that's the old 101. That's a pretty cool patch. I was pretty happy with, with having that still, you know, even though yeah. I'm on airport status, but yeah, the, because yeah. the, you know, you know so it, it started 2000 prior to 2000 already. And there were more, there was more things that were happening while I was in. I just like, man, you know, I couldn't even drop my soldier for pushups. So I worked up in, in the group, third group, uh, assistant opposite CEO for group. And I had a little stand up there. And, you know, so I had these weird MOSs under me, you know, ammo sergeants. I had this chick. She was uh, she was an illustrator. Her job was to make PowerPoint presentations, right? She was a buck sergeant. And I remember I had this private that literally put an M16 in his POV from the arms room, got caught, you know. And so I had a choice, you know. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to make the guy do push-ups, into, you know, and, and uh, if he wants to be dumb, I'll make him strong. And man, I got I got chastised over that. I got literally I literally got beat up over that. It started with this sergeant, female, um, you know, you know, accusing me of being a bully. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm the senior NCO here, you know. And so the consequences for this guy could have been much worse. He's lucky he's just doing push-ups because he is a private. I want to teach him a lesson. But 
You know, I, I remember, and I remember my only recourse was make the guy go home and write a, uh, a 10 page essay on accountability and responsibility. That was his punishment, right? It's like, I'm, like, like grade school, right? It's like, this is what the army was already turning into back then. I decided, you know what? I'm out. I'm out of here. I don't want nothing to do with this anymore. So it had already started, but going back to Alan West and his show, when uh, he was asking me about, you know, what does this all mean having women in combat arms? I go, look, let's face it, you know, combat arms, whether it's infantry, rangers, special forces, SEALs, Delta, there tend to be 90, at least at my era, 99.99% conservative. They were patriots. You know, we love John Wayne, the American way of life, you know, and, uh, and suddenly, you know, can you control the military? When you have guys like that in the ranks, especially if you're on the left, no. So what have you got to do? You've got to infuse the ranks with liberal thought. How do you do that? Well, you open it up to you know, homosexuals and transvestites and transsexuals and all these other weirdo alphabet, you know, the whole alphabet soup of people, you know, and we're going to put women in there. So when, you know, when the infantry squad leader says, man, we're going to attack that bunker up there. And then you got, you know, some three women. Uh, can we just send them an email, a memo first and see if they would just surrender? You know, we, we're, in, we're in that mode now. Right. And so, um, you know, we, we want to pretend like, you know, we, you know, this whole EO thing, everybody should have an opportunity. No, you shouldn't have an opportunity. Okay. I was an infantryman. I know what that takes. At least in my day, when you go to the field for six weeks at a time, right. And you're living out of a small Alice, not the jungle Alice, but the small Alice pack and you're carrying sea rations in your back and you got a wool blanket. That's the only thing you got to keep you warm in the field. Um, you know, and you're going to literally sleep four hours and 24 hours, maybe not consecutive four hours, but that's all you're going to get. And knowing you're sleeping nut to butt with your buddy in the field and just to stay warm and dry, even though you're soaking wet, that, that adds a whole nother dimension to combat. Right. And so, and now to take special forces, it's the same thing. And I've watched it firsthand down range. I watch what happens when you put women in the ranks with special operations, you can take any fob in, in Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, and even some of the more, uh, some of the more isolated fobs out there where they might've had some females on there. And guess what females do? They do the same thing they do here. Men and women will do what they, nature tells us to do. And we're going to do it. And when that starts happening, you have strife, you have conflict, you have a breakdown in every aspect of your command structure. Um, your, your combat effectiveness goes out the window. People go, and then I love when, you know, the, the left comes in and goes, well, you know, men should need to learn how to keep their cock in their pants. Well, you know what? Women need to leave, keep their legs closed too, because it's a two way street, you know, and stop blaming it on the men all the time. Just, it's the human condition. It's going to happen. And it's going to erode our combat effectiveness. You know, look, war fighting has not, should have nothing to do with equal opportunity and political correctness and all this crap. Remember, we got one mission to win. That's it. If we don't win, we all, we're all screwed. Right. So we got to send our best for it. And I, you know, ironically, you know, and I, I mentioned that to Alan West on the show. I talked in length about that because you know what you as a, not you, but anybody out there that's a civilian, particularly if you've never been in the infantry, you've never been in special forces, special operations. Guess what? You don't have an opinion. You know why you don't have an opinion? Because you never did the job. No more than me. I, I'm, I've never done brain surgery, but who am I to tell a brain surgeon, hey, man, just, just give the guy some aspirin, okay? That's not my, look, that's not my, that's not my, my you know, my wheelhouse. Stick to your wheelhouse. If you're, if you're a civilian, you go, everybody should have an opportunity. You need to shut up, okay, until you know what you're actually talking about. Unless you've actually been there. Shut up because you don't know what you don't know. I know because I've been there many times. I've seen what happens. And so, you know, here we, so this has been like, you know, it's been insidious, man. It's been, it's like a cancer has just been metastasizing 
for a long time. And now we're at this point where it's terminal. It's literally terminal. We're, we're like you mentioned earlier, we're, the Republic is dead. Uh, I don't know how we're going to get it back. And I don't know how we're going to do the mess that we've already created. But, um, you know, America is not the America I grew up in. And, uh, you know, I'm all about change, but positive change in a good way. And, and what's happening now is not a positive change. In fact, look where we are. You know, we're literally on the cusp of a world war, potentially a nuclear war. And a lot of people are going to be dying because foolish people out there made bad votes, bad decisions. Um, and we got very evil people at the top. You know, the cabal, you know, you mentioned the cabal. You're right. I'm Listen, the cabal is not some conspiracy theory. It's real. The world I live in, I get to see it. I know it firsthand. It's, it's a real thing. Um, and they're out well, there. I mean, let's, let me jump, we'll, let me jump in there. And, and uh, so I want you to say your um, your website where people can do courses with you. But one thing I think that has changed, you know, war changes with technology and society. That's why you have generations of war. And you said 5G. I'm total agreement. The enemy has 5G. I think we're doing 4G uh, resistance. But um, I see. I see. You know, w- when I left um, DIA headquarters in 04, I started doing pre-deployment courses for all the um, uh, support folks. Five-day pre-deployment courses because they were getting shot. I said, "Hey, I can do this because I'm a firearms instructor. I know what you guys need. I did a lot of them. I did it for." about a decade till two, uh, 2014. And I said, well, now there's all kinds of six master chiefs and uh, Delta Sergeant majors retiring. And, you know, I, I, I'm good, but I can't keep compete with that. But now I see everybody's got a podcast all over the place uh, and they don't get deplatformed from YouTube. Like I do, like anybody talking about the uh, what's going on with the cabal. But I think the next thing beyond that, uh, for this whole generation of special operators uh, that have retired now is to beginning to train warriors, but outside of the military, uh, just like yeah. you're doing, just like I did. And I think you're doing, you're doing it. And, and that's where I think, because there's a whole bunch of, particularly for AFSOC, for example, uh, I know a bunch of PJs and JTACs that run these pipeline courses because the pipeline for AFSOC is so long that they they lose so much money because almost nobody makes it through the pipeline because it's a it's a yeah. it's a severe pipeline much, you know much more so than than buds and so there's all these preparatory courses now so i see yeah. that as developing a non-military warriorship class uh, that can later on then uh, rescue and restore and defend our republic perhaps what do you think about that no, I, I agree. And that's kind of why I do this. Um, you know, my, and by the way, just the coaching training stuff is just what I call side hustle. Um, I run a security business here. I do a lot of other things. I'm all into oil trading and everything else, but. Uh, what, what's your uh, website for that? Where can people find you? You go to, to dalecomstock.com. Pretty simple, right? Dalecomstock.com. You can find me on Instagram, official American badass. Um, I don't do much on Facebook anymore just because it's Facebook, you know, um, you know, they, 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 They've they've kicked me off Facebook several times for talk talk about my dog. They found every reason plausible to get rid of me. I got kicked off of Twitter because I made a comment. I actually repeated what somebody else said, and I said, you know, that would have at one point, uh, you know, that was worthy of uh, basically, you know, you know, uh, you know, death, so to speak, you know, uh, that kind of betrayal. 
and they kicked me off of Twitter for, you know, advocating permanently for, for advocating violence. Can you believe that? You know, and I was, they've always followed my numbers back and they're still doing it now. Um, even though Elon Musk is, you know, in charge, he's still got Confederates in there. They're still doing it. Um, you know, we're, we're fighting a war, you know, in the shadows and, uh, you know, um, I think we're losing honestly, but, uh, but yeah, to your point, you know, guys, if you want military training, you want that military mindset, you know, there's other ways to do that. You know, there, you know, I, I do it. I provide a whole range of topics. Um, uh, I teach everything from combat marksmanship. Um, I, I have online courses on, ex- on explosives, not how to make explosives, but basically, uh, familiarization course, you know, how do explosives work, you know, kind of dispel the crap you see on Hollywood. Um, I do uh, surveillance, counter surveillance, VIP protection. Um, I do a lot of different courses that are more in alignment with uh, tactical training for people. And then the other thing I teach is uh, I call it psychosomal engineering, mind body uh, programming. Basically, I teach people how to think and not what to think. Right. So, you know, Rockefeller, you know, he, he's the guy that said, hey, you know, listen, I want to I want a society full of workers. You know, when he started, you know, the school, you know, private schools and all the school structure. And uh, and most people are trained to be workers. You know, uh, think about it. How many people have a, a degree from college, but they're not working in that degree field? They got the paper, but they don't have any because even college, with some exceptions, um, you know, they teach you skill sets, but they don't teach you how to apply them, right? They don't teach you how to make a business out of it, how to be sovereign. They teach you how to go work for somebody else and give you the tools to do that. And uh, and so I'm a I'm a big proponent of being a sovereign person, be self-employed. We're never going to be free. We're all we're all chained in one way or another to the IRS, to the U.S. government, to some government. You know, I'm I'm you know, I mean, I have to I have to kneel to the Indonesian government and I have to deal and kneel to the American government in a lot of ways. But I have more freedom than most people do. And uh, but, uh, you know, the training's out there. You know, you don't have to join the military. You know, you know, you can you can learn from guys like me. And, uh, you know, and I've been doing this for six years consistently. Uh, I have I'm pretty much booked up with as a side hustle, so to speak, because uh, I have another other jobs to do. But uh, I find it very fulfilling, and I think a lot of guys are starting to see that, you know, and this is why I ran this course last year. People just didn't want to, you know, they, they're not, I'm not interested in the military. They saw it. They, they were very aware of what's going on, the wokeness. I mean, um, who wants to be a part of this shit show, you know? I mean, look at Miley. That What a what a turd, man. I don't, you know what? He's a turd, man. You know, I mean, you know, the guys like and, and by the way, there's there are there are factions in the military that are part of the cabal. There are people in the military that are part of the cabal, you know, and so it doesn't make it any any wonder why, you know, we the cabal was a big screw up, you know, and everything is happening is a big screw up. It's not it's because they've been. You know, we've infused that liberal, um, you know, globalist, uh, what we call globetarian mindset into into the military as well. And yeah, that, um, I, that's, I think that's really important. I just I just did uh, a cast on that where the uh, thirteen uh, very bravely stood and gave their lives in Kabul. Kabul, um, and then uh, I'm trying to think of the the young Marine's name uh, that was uh, blown up. Uh, but I see the same valor. Uh, from Gordon Sugard all, and all the way back right up to those 13. Uh, but I think what's going to happen here uh, is that I don't even think SOCOM and JSOC is going to have that quality of people uh, anymore. And that's really yeah. what makes the, the difference. And so they get out and I'm, I think they're going to be doing training. 
Uh, I see a lot of them, you know, all over YouTube, and that's going to start to make the difference. I think yeah. that's that's what's happening. I um, told that to my friend a long time ago. He went in SF, you know, and uh, I, you know, I said, you know what, go in, learn some skill sets, you know, get a little bit of experience under your belt, and I said, get out, man, get out. You know, he's still in. Um, but I remind him, I said, you know, think about who you're fighting for now. I mean, think who the master really is. You know, yeah, I love you love your team guys. You're all in the same program. I said, but at the end of the day, man, you're beholden to, you know, the evil empire is the way I like to describe it, you know. And so you're going to do their bidding for them. And uh, nobody cares. Look, USASOC doesn't care. They, I think everybody would be happy to have more. Because if they can't if they can't bring in conservative soldiers, like I mentioned earlier, you know, combat arms, you know, they'll take whoever they can get, which is what they're doing now. And that works out perfectly for their gender. They're still going to fill the ranks, but they're going to fill it with a bunch of weenies that can't fight, you know, and, uh, and, and are willing to turn the guns on Americans, you know, at the end of the day. And that's where the real danger is. You know, at present, I, w- I still believe that, you know, combat arms, the American combat arms, you know, the military, um, they're not going to turn their guns on Americans yet. Um, but I think that day may come where suddenly the enemy from within is now armed with our best fighters, our best warriors, the best training, and we're going to have to deal with them. And I'll add to that, you know, look, here, here's the biggest myth out there, right? The biggest myth is, you know, and even Joe Biden said, you know, your you're AR-15 can't stop a F-15, you know. <laughs> And uh, let me tell you something. It's a clown, right? Anybody that thinks that you're a clown, okay, you're a clown. Um, because here's how it works, right? Let's let's go back to Afghanistan, Mujahideen. All right, Mujahideen, a bunch of dudes with sandals and AK-47s beat the shit out of the Russians. All right, period. Right? They were handling their ass long before they ever got to Stinger missile systems. Okay, um, history is replete with examples of like that. Um, and this is why we were getting our ass handed to in Afghanistan. Don't think for a minute that we were, you know, our, our, we were a superior force because the, the Afghans, the Taliban, were hitting and running, and they were look. They don't have to kill 100 Americans. All they do is got to do is kill one. That makes the news. Everybody loses their shit in America. Oh, my God, they killed an American, you know. And that Taliban man was happy with losing 50 dudes because they knew 50 dudes are going to go up there and get a bunch of virgins, you know, and they're going to go to a good, better place. Their, their whole mindset was different than, than the West. Um, and so, the, the, you know, the Taliban, the Mujahideen are smart enough to know they don't have to kill a lot of Americans. You know, even terrorists, right? They know you don't have to kill a lot of people. You just got to scare the shit out of them because fear motivates people. And, uh, and so, you know, you know, at the end of the day, man, we're, um, and I keep going back to this, but uh, I don't see a lot of hope. You know, I'm hoping that I'm wrong, but uh, at this point, if it keeps going like it's going, I don't think we're going to see an election next year. Uh, I keep saying this. It's not going to happen. They're going to do something. They're going to do something. If they don't want to assassinate Trump, something's going to happen. There won't be an election. Um, and we're going to probably be in war with Russia within the year. And uh, I wouldn't, you know, within two years, we'll probably be in a freaking nuclear war, man, for sure. It'll be all out free, uh, free fall. Um, and it's sad, you know, and I hate to be the doom and gloom guy, but I'm not. But, uh, you know, I've been pretty I've been pretty consistent in my predictions. And uh, I try to be as realistic as I can. I've got enough experience in life, you know, in combat. You know, I've been in every I've literally been in every campaign since 1983 Grenada to the present campaigns abroad. Everyone, with the exception of Bosnia, I didn't go there because I just retired. Um, but I've been to every campaign that American government has fought in, literally as a front line, front line soldier. Um, 
And so I think I've got a little bit more knowledge than most people. I know how the rest of the world looks at us because I travel all around the world. And uh, we are not as revered as we used to be anymore. We're kind of a joke. We're a laughing stock, you know. Um, you know, I remember when Trump was in office, I got a bunch of friends here in, in Bali, the Brits and, and others, you know, and they always used to, you know, talk smack about Trump, you know, and he just laughed and chuckled at us, you know, and, and they just really, I mean, I had to just tell those guys, go, you know, screw yourself. I don't want nothing to do with you clowns, you know? And now they're all going, oh my God, I wish we still had Trump because they know they were idiots. They were all idiots, right? And so now they're going, oh, I wish we still had Trump. Everybody wishes we had Trump. I had a guy pick me up in a taxi um, in, in Jakarta, Muslim. And by the way, my wife's Muslim. Um, it's not about Muslims or anything like that, but this particular guy, he was protesting against the government in, in Jakarta years ago. Big riots, big ones, massive uh, riots. And, uh, and he asked me, you know, we got to talking and, and, and then he told me what he, he was driving a cab, but he's also into computers and stuff. And he told me he's a protester. And, uh, and then he asked me, you know, he started talking about Trump. And what, what really shocked me was he goes, we need a president like Trump. That's what we need. And they love Trump. They're like, we love Trump. You know, we want, you know, and everybody here talks about Trump, you know, it's like amazing. Right. And so the rest of the world loves Trump and we as Americans, we, but you know, Half of America, you know, hate Trump, and he, Trump was probably the best thing for us. You know, and I don't, you know, people might disagree with me, but at the end of the day, life was a hell of a lot better under Trump than it is under Joe Biden and everybody else. You know, and I don't, and I tell people, listen, I don't, I didn't vote. The reason I did vote for Trump is because he's not a politician. So what? He's not very eloquent in his speech like Obama. Obama's just a snake, man. You know, I said, but Trump just calls it like it. Is. Trump says what I think. And therefore, I'm with this guy. And, he should, and he's got results. You know, that's what all I care about. I don't care about, you know, he groped some chicks somewhere. So what? You know, I'm pretty sure I've done that on the playground growing up and done weird shit like that. We're dudes, you know. Let's get over it. We're dudes. <laughs> What's her name? Candace Owen, you know. Life's tough. Get a helmet. You know, I love that, man. That's right. It's tough. Get a helmet. You know, you little freaking pansies, you know. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, I'll shut my mouth so you can speak now. You know, I'm, I'm the easiest guy to do a podcast with because I usually tell guys, hey, you know, we start the show, just do the introduction, take off for a couple <laughs> hours, go shopping. I got this for you. When you come back, we're, we're good. <laughs> no, that's what my wife said. But uh, really appreciate you coming on. Um, uh, and uh, uh, you make <laughs> – I'm 66. And, uh, man, you're, you are still going so strong. You remind me of uh, Billy Wall who is still going – so strong. So thanks, well. thanks so much for coming on. Uh, yeah. I appreciate you so much. And uh, send me an email for Alan West. I'd love to have him and ask him about when he fires off his pistol between the legs of the of the terrorist guy to get his troops and then oh, salute yeah. his commander. And that, yeah, he should have been the first uh, black president. But so He's appreciate awesome, you. Dude. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. All right, brother. Thank you. Take All care. Right, brother. Take care. Okay, so that is uh, the great Dale Comstock, who was never at a loss for words, but I thought this was really important on the 30th anniversary we just passed of uh, Gothic Serpent, better known to most of you as uh, Black Hawk Downs and epitomizes the valor of the warrior spirit in America. That's your heritage. Remember it, learn it, and live it. So fear not, God bless, keep the faith, and hold fast. We can win this if we choose to win this, but we're not always winning. But remember, freedom is never given. It is earned, won, fought for, and taken. So take it.